This is Alumni Aloud, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with the GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. Sarah Hildebrand. I'm a PhD candidate in English at the Graduate Center and a fellow in the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. In this episode of Alumni Loud, I interviewed Brooke Bryant, who graduated from our PhD program in musicology and is now the Director of Development at the Kaufman Music Center. She's going to be talking to us about what it means to work in development, the skill sets graduates have that can help them pivot into the field, and what some of the best practices are for activating your network. So to get us started, Brooke, would you mind telling us a little bit about what the Kaufman Music Center's mission is and maybe what your role is there? Sure, absolutely. And thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's so great to meet you and so great to connect with grad students from the Grad Center. So Kaufman Music Center is a music presentation and education organization on the Upper West Side. Um, we reach about 75,000 people a year through our concert hall, Merkin Hall, which many people know it offers over a concert season of over 200 concerts featuring musicians from around the world who are really at the top of their game. And then we have several music education programs that serve about 4,000 students a year. And what's really interesting is that we serve students of all ages and music levels. So it ranges from two and a half year olds who come to do Dalcro's classes with their parents to 87 year olds who love to play jazz and want to play in a jazz ensemble or want to you know, keep playing piano and playing a chamber music ensemble to students who are really on a pre-professional music track. Having studied musicology, I'm also a professional singer. So it's really amazing to work at Kaufman because it, gets, it brings together my love of development and nonprofit administration with my love of music. So it's a really great place to have landed. And I feel really lucky that it's my professional home. What got you interested in the field of development? How did you make that switch from musicology to nonprofits? Great question. And to be candid, necessity and economic necessity was a big part of it. So I finished, I finished my, I deposited my dissertation in 2009. So I was applying for jobs in 2008, 2009. And I empathize with people who are doing that right now, because I think a lot of the challenges that people are facing on the job market in COVID really echo economic crisis of 2008, because at that time, when the economy crashed, the academic job market really changed. You know, the academic, I mean, this is a, this is a podcast in itself, but as you know, graduate students know, the academic job market has been changing for decades. Tenure track positions are getting replaced by adjunct labor. It's very, very challenging to, there, there are more people on the job market than positions. And so that was compounded in 2008, 2009 with the economic crisis when there were hiring freezes. So I applied to 50 or 60 musicology jobs. I got three calls for more, more, more materials and no interviews. And so at the time I was adjuncting and teaching at three different places. I live in Brooklyn. I was teaching at the College of Staten Island and at Manhattan College in Riverdale, sometimes on the same day. And so I really saw the writing on the wall that it was kind of do this for a few more years while I continue to bolster my resume and while the job market recovers or look at what skill sets I have and see if I can do something else. I've been really lucky to have done some grant writing, both for my own research and for a small independent nonprofit while I was in school at the grad center. 
And as I was thinking about alternative career paths, realized that fundraising was something that people could get full-time jobs doing with benefits. And so I was really lucky in that I was able to transition into a full-time grant writing job right after I finished. So my fellowship ended in August of 2009, and I started a new job in August of 2009 in grant writing and made that switch. Honestly, initially, I thought it would be a temporary thing, something that I could do to actually make a living while I continued to research and write and maybe teach on the side, do some performing. I did that for a while, but I came to really love the field. You know, my goal going into academia was to be part of an intellectual and creative community, and that's what I do in nonprofit fundraising. I'm not teaching, but I am part of an intellectual creative community from the business side, really finding the resources so that teachers, so that artists can share their work with the world and with the next generation. And so I feel that I did what I set out to do just in a different form than I thought it would take. That's great to hear, because I think a lot of students are making similar transitions to find intellectual communities outside of narrowly defined academia. Yeah. How did you find that very first job? So very similar to applying for academic jobs, I applied for everything I was remotely qualified for. So I looked at a lot of a lot of job postings. Fortunately, within in 2008, 2009, it was a bad time for the job market everywhere, including the nonprofit sector. But one thing that people always need is money. And so there's never a shortage of development jobs. There might be certain organizations that aren't hiring or certain sectors where there are fewer jobs, but there are never not development jobs because organizations need revenue to exist. And so I looked at as many job descriptions as possible. I looked at where skill sets aligned with my own. I tailored my resume to highlight those skill sets. And then I just applied. I also did some networking, kind of talking to people in my college alumni network, less at the graduate center and more at the undergraduate level who were working in the nonprofit sector, just to do informational interviews, to get advice from them as to how to tailor my resume, how to, my, how to present myself. And then just, it was kind of a sheer volume of continuing to whittle down, get closer to a resume that spoke to my skill sets and what the organizations needed and was finally able to make that match. But it took a while and it, it took many, many applications. Yeah, I think that happens for a lot of people, but it's great that you're able to end up somewhere that you really enjoy now. So what does it actually mean to work in the field of development? It can mean many, many different things. So one of the great things about development is that there are many different pathways that build on many different skill sets, most of which align with what graduate students are doing. So when I started in the field, I was doing grant writing. So I was researching grant making organizations that were you know, primarily foundations and some corporations with philanthropic um, missions, looking at their grant making priorities and how they aligned with the programs of the organization I worked for, writing proposals for funding, setting up meetings for executive leadership with foundation and corporate leaders to see where there were alignments and then following up with proposals or reports. So it was a lot of research, heavy writing. So again, that's something that aligns very well. There's also in the development field, a lot of database work. Um, so again, for people who've done certain kind of more quantitative work in graduate school, there is a lot of database work, kind of research that goes into kind of the behind the scenes, that's in both pieces of it. And then there's also kind of the major gifts or front end side. So for people who really enjoy forging relationships with people, there are tracks in development where you're building relationships with major philanthropists and talking to them about how they're 
how their goals align with the goals of the organizations that you work for. So one of the things that makes it really an interesting field is that there are so many different directions that you can go, everything aligned towards raising the financial resources that organizations need to fulfill their missions. Great. And so that's kind of a great overview of what development is and the different skills that are useful for graduate students to have. What does kind of your day-to-day -day look like? Are days mostly the same or do you do different things? Great question. So very different. And my day-to-day, -day, I will say, looks different now than it did when I started in the field. So I've been doing this for 11 years. I feel very lucky that I've had, you know, increasingly progressively more responsibility as I've moved on in my career. So right now I manage a team of five people who raise about $3.4 million a year, which is about a third of the budget for our organization. We do that through special events. So we organize big gala and other special events throughout the year through grants from corporations and foundations and from individual gifts. So from people that we build relationships, they give directly to the organization. So I wear a bunch of different hats and every day looks different. Part of my role is kind of management, making sure that the people on my team understand what they need to do in terms of their responsibilities for our revenue goal, helping to coach and mentor and train them, which is interesting because it aligns with the teaching background that, you know, with my teaching background. So helping to make sure that they're developing the skills and have the oversight that they need to be successful in their roles. There's also direct interfacing with donors. So I'm the primary person at the organization who works with our board of trustees and executive director to help set our fundraising strategy and make sure that things are aligned there. And sometimes it's just a lot of troubleshooting. Part of development is making its relationship management and where there are relationships, you know, feelings can get hurt. There can be questions. We are kind of the first first round of defense when there are things that are happening in the music world that people see might align with us. Over the past couple of years, there have been conversations about diversity and the lack of diversity in the classical music world, and donors may have questions about how that impacts our organization. The development staff are the ones that are picking up the phone, listening to the questions, having those dialogues, helping to kind of help donors see how the organization is moving along. So. It's, it's really a mix. And I will say that one, one thing is that no two days ever look the same. Yeah. And you said that you've been in this field for 11 years now. Have you noticed any trends in the field? Has it changed at all? I would say, and again, 11 years is a relatively short time given, you know, kind of overall trends in the nonprofit sector. I think there's more and more accountability that I've seen in just, just the 11 years in terms of funders, not just foundations or corporations, but individuals, they're very, very interested in seeing the impact of organizations. So we've had to do more and more work to prove impact through kind of data, through different metrics to really show that we're, we are holding ourselves accountable for stewarding the resources and the investments that donors are making in our work. And so I think it, it's been interesting to see how the field has evolved in that way. One of the other trends that's really been interesting over the past really couple of years has been philanthropy kind of contending with its own power structures and becoming a bit more self-aware, especially in conversations this year around, around race and kind of who has, who has access to power and making decisions. And in philanthropy, you know, it is often traditionally very few people with a lot of money who hold power within organizations because of their ability to give. 
and it's been very interesting even to see philanthropists themselves coming to coming to terms with that and having dialogues about that foundations and grant makers thinking about how they engage rather than being kind of wealthy outsiders who come in to solve a problem how do they engage with communities and partner in real deep and meaningful ways to make change and that's something i'm really excited about and excited to see see more of yeah, that's great. There's almost a social justice component within the field right now with the things that they're starting to think about. So thinking about your own career journey, how did you move from graduate school into your current position? What other positions did you kind of hold in between? Sure. So I've held four positions to, to getting to where I am now. The first one was a grant writing position. So pretty straightforward portfolio of grants from foundations and corporations, writing the proposals, submitting the reports, doing research to find new funders, just, just like we would do in graduate school, kind of looking for grants to support our research. I did that for about two years, but as I was, I realized that I loved it and I wanted to stay in this field, I was also looking at what were the other roles that people in leadership positions had. I was always very interested in, in leadership and kind of what it would take to get into a leadership position. In the United States, for many reasons, tax code, all kinds of things, most of the money that is given through philanthropy is given by individuals. So high net worth individuals who are writing checks. Foundations, government giving is a very, very small slice of the pie in comparison to individuals. And so since most of the money that comes to organizations through philanthropy is from individuals, you tend to see most people in leadership roles in development having experience working with individuals and major gifts. And so I saw that as a skill set that I wanted to develop so I was able to develop some skills in my first role that were applicable in that area. I joined a professional organization called Women in Development, which is a really great support network where I got some training and mentoring to how my skill sets would be applicable in major gifts. And so after two years, I moved into a major gift officer role at Cooper Union. So it was great to be back in higher education. I did that for a couple of years. I was there when Cooper instituted tuition after 100 years of being a free tuition school, which was very interesting. Again, building on development, being the ones who are answering the phone and answering questions. That was a very interesting time to be in that seat. And then I moved to a major gifts officer role at Hospital for Special Surgery. I really I took that job because a mentor of mine and somebody I really, really admired was the chief development officer there. And I was excited about having the opportunity to learn from her. That was very different and that it was a big corporate environment again doing but we were doing fundraising for research and so my research background at the graduate center was really helpful in understanding how the scientific researchers work building relationships with them and with donors and then i moved into my role at kaufman most of the work that i've done there you know they're really looking for somebody with major gifts experience to help build out a major gifts program but Having had the background additionally in grants, I was able to oversee that pretty seamlessly. So picking up different skill sets along the way, looking for roles that would allow me to build on my skills, but also kind of move to the next level is the trajectory that I've taken. Yeah, that's great. That's interesting to hear about. If there are students who are looking to apply to similar roles, are there things that they could do now to make their applications really stand out? Absolutely. So. I would say just first and foremost, like I did, look at some job descriptions and see what they're looking for, and then do some real soul searching about your own experiences and what aligns. And I think you'll find that there is a lot that aligns. 
the writing skills that you're developing, the research skills that you're developing are very, very applicable in grant writing roles. And again, for people who are in the more quantitative fields in terms of some of the research roles, database roles that are available in development. And then look at the resume. I mean, a, a kind of a job job resume is going to look very different than an academic CV. Unfortunately, very few people kind of sitting in my seat and hiring are going to care a lot about pages and pages of teaching experience or, you know, write publications or conference presentations or that kind of thing. However, that kind of stuff is applicable too. It's just kind of pairing some of the details down and pulling the skill sets out. You know, the public speaking skills that you're building through teaching are very valuable through conference presentations. The ability to distill complex information into a very, very brief presentation or paper or proposal. All of those things are skill sets that are very helpful in development. So it's kind of pulling those things out and presenting them in a way where somebody looking at the resume can see how they map on to what's in the job description. And I think there are a lot of skills that you're developing that are applicable if you can kind of mine the CV in that way. Yeah, speaking of kind of the difference between applying for a faculty position and applying for positions in development, what's the hiring timeline like? Because I know when we're applying to faculty positions, it can take a year. What are we looking at for the field of development? It's such a good question. It varies. For more senior positions, I have seen it take a year. Interestingly enough, in my own position that I'm in now, I started conversations in the mid-summer of 2015, and I started in January of 2016. But that's not even like the longest timeline I've seen for a senior role. For, for roles that are more junior, it can be very quick. A lot of times the roles come up because Again, it, it's different than a faculty position where someone's kind of teaching for a year and you figure out what the next year looks like. You often know very well in advance when you're going to have vacancies and you can plan for it. Development jobs tend to turn over faster. The average tenure in the field is actually just 18 months, often because at especially smaller organizations, there just aren't opportunities to move up. So people often move up like I did by moving out to another organization. So someone might give their two weeks notice or their four weeks notice. And at a small organization with four development positions, you need to fill that position as soon as possible, because if you don't, I mean, revenue is on the line. And so, but, but that being said, I think when you're looking for a job, you want to find someone who's going to wait for the right person. Um, and it's really about finding the right person for the right seat. So some organizations will wait and they will take that time. Even if it means a position sitting open longer, they'll wait kind of as long as until they get the right person. There's a big, and in academia too, there's a big cost at hiring the wrong person who has the wrong skill set or the wrong kind of set of soft skills and emotional intelligence to fulfill the role. So again, I think the good places where you want to get a job are going to wait for the right person. But some places want to kind of snap their fingers and hire immediately. So for you know a development associate position, it and again it depends on who's applying and all of that, but I've I've seen that those will generally take, you know, maybe six to eight weeks to fill the higher level positions where you're a grant writer or a major gifts officer. Those can take, you know, three or four months or sometimes longer. A lot of it just depends though on kind of who's coming through the door and how much patience the organization has to find the right person in the right seat. Because again, these cycles, uh, development cycles are pretty grueling. 
there's work to be done all the time. So the longer a seat stays vacant, the more of a negative impact it can have on the revenue. Have you been in charge of hiring processes before? Yes. So my current role, um, I'm in charge of hiring. I, everybody on our team currently have hired and having been there about five years now, we've had a few iterations of that cycle of people coming and going. So that's definitely been a skill set that I've had to build and I'm still building. What does your ideal candidate look like? So it's a great question. Um, and I'm not going to speak to skill set quite as much because the different roles, as we've discussed, there are so many different roles and different skill sets and development. But I will say, you know, the person, they don't have to hold all the skill sets for the role. And I would encourage you to apply to things, even if you don't check every box on the job description, but they would hold a great deal of the skill sets required for the role combined with a keen interest in learning, a sense of humility to kind of know what they don't know and a willingness and receptiveness to be coached and to learn and the patience with themselves to, to kind of, to learn what they don't know. And then they need to be someone who works hard, is super organized and knows how to just get things done. In development, you are juggling a lot of balls. This is another skill set that I think grad students, especially at the grad center, have possess in spades. You know, the ability that students at the grad center have to teach and adjunct at multiple places and have multiple jobs while you're taking coursework and while you're doing the dissertation proposal. You know, the ability to be organized about all that stuff and still just move work forward is something that's applicable in any role. And then finally, just nice people with good people skills, because again, development is about relationships. We're the ones answering the phone to talk to people when they have questions or concerns. So great judgment in those situations, kind of knowing again, when they don't know how to answer a question and knowing when they need to ask for more input. And then just, again, emotional intelligence to really connect with people, not only externally, but on their team. I love your advice to apply to jobs. If you have the majority of the skills, then go for it. It's kind of worth a shot. And I think you also just did a really nice job of kind of pointing to all the transferable skills that our students have. It's not only about what your research was, it's about all the skills you learned in the process of doing that research that are, yeah. it's going to really help you get a job. Absolutely. And again, I can't speak enough about organization, project management, and time management. Those are skills in development in the nonprofit world in general on the admin side that are so valued because organizations, big or small, whether it's a hospital that's, you know, operating at the billion dollar level a year or an $11 million you know, arts nonprofit, because funds need to be redirected in, in the mission and the work, the administrative structures are never gonna be as robust as they need to be. So people are always wearing more hats than just one. So the ability to juggle things, muscle things through and get them done kind of with a smile and while maintaining relationships, I think is one of the hardest things to assess and apply for. So you all have those skills in spades. You should shout it from the rooftops. Great. So even if you don't have a background in development yet, you can still pivot there using your graduate level studies. Yes, absolutely. And I, I will say, so just from a, if it's a fun story to hear, one of the superstars on my team, who's the manager of institutional giving is a grad center alum. I connected with her a few years ago because we were looking for somebody part-time. So she, she ended up I reached out to someone in the music department. She connected me with a few different folks who were interested in arts admin. And so I hired her on the spot, mostly because of her interest, like her ability to project manage and multitask. 
she did a phenomenal job. She worked with us for a year. She took a year off because she was kind of heavy teaching and research, but we had a grant writing position come open and we hired her to come back. She's done a phenomenal job. You know, she'd never had a full-time position in development before. She'd only done a little bit of grant writing, but because of those research skills and really those project management skills, she's been able to dive in and she's done a phenomenal job. So yeah, I would say just go, go for it. Great. And there was one other thing that I noticed about your background from your LinkedIn profile, which is that you've done a lot of volunteer work. And I was kind of wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about that, if you kind of developed any of these skills through your volunteer work or how that's kind of affected your career. That's a great question. And I would say that volunteer work is absolutely a wonderful way to get experience. It's been key for me not only in gaining skills, but also in activating networks because networking is very important. And maybe we can talk about that as well. But, you know, through, I got very involved in the college alumni club for my undergraduate institution, very involved in women development, as we mentioned. So through those volunteer opportunities, I got experience with kind of board management, leadership recruitment, event management. So even though I wasn't doing those things in my full-time job, I was able to pull on those skill sets. But I think equally valuable is the networking uh, potential because in doing these volunteer roles, I got to know people who worked at different organizations. I would say my last three positions really came about through people I got to know through these organizations where they got to see me at work. They also got to know me as a person and that really helped my resume stand out in the pile when people they knew were interviewing. So being able to build that network have people who see you and know you and can call on you when opportunities arise is invaluable. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that even more because networking is probably one of the most important skills that graduate students should be working on and practicing. But can you even explain a little bit about like, what does it mean to network and what are kind of some tips to do it successfully? To me, networking is building genuine relationships with people with whom you have a shared interest and kind of concern about some area of the world, whether it's your college alumni network or whether it's, you know, a community-based organization where everyone's working towards the same goal. I found that I built my most valuable relationships through those opportunities because I'm working with people towards a, a common goal. It allows people, you know, you really get to know who people are, what their interests are, where they're connected, and you connect on a real personal level so that when an opportunity arises, it's not putting someone out or it's not really awkward to ask for help or for a favor or for a connection. I've read that kind of the most valuable professional connections that get made are through people that aren't necessarily your friends, but they're people that you come to know kind of socially as colleagues or kind of those second or third degree connections. And so if you can build genuine relationships with people where you have a shared interest when Kind of opportunities arise, it's very comfortable and easy to reach out for advice or connections or things like that. And do you have any tips for kind of best going about networking? So for me, networking has worked best. Again, I'm a doer. So when I volunteer for things and I get to know people organically, but that's not the only way to network. And I realize time is limited. I would say, think about what those areas are in your life where you have overlapping interests with people who could help you and reach out, but reach out to people who could help you, I think in ways that are polite and kind of actionable. So I think people are, are genuinely willing if you don't know them, but they're part of a network to take an informational interview to tell you a little bit more about what they do. I know if 
somebody from the Graduate Center ever called me and said, hey, could I you know, talk to you for 20 or 30 minutes about development? If I didn't know them, I'd be happy to connect with them. There may not be a job opportunity open, but it's a great way to connect with someone and they may remember you in two months when there is. I would say though, be polite about it, be straightforward about what you want, be straightforward about kind of how much time you want to spend. You know, it's really easy, 20, 30 minutes, that's all I need. Come prepared with questions that you want to ask so that you are informed and you can have a thoughtful conversation, which again, anyone at the Grad Center knows how to do. And then follow up and say, thank you. A thank you note goes a long, long way towards helping someone kind of remember you and sustaining a relationship with you. So if you can kind of practice those best practices in terms of politeness, it goes a long way towards opening doors, helping people remember for the long term. Yeah, that's definitely an important skill. And those are helpful tips for our students who are just kind of getting into networking. Because I think it's something that we might let slide a little bit in our earlier years of graduate school. And then we realize when we're looking for jobs that it's really important to get to know who all is actually out there. Yeah, and, and I think doing it early is such an important key. You know, people who are in the first year, like it, it just, it doesn't hurt. Even for people in your field, if you are looking to stay in academia, like it's just, it's never too early to forge those relationships, to find out what people to do, to find out what cultures are like at various institutions. It's an invaluable thing to build and something you should definitely carve out time to nurture. Yeah, especially if you're in that career exploration phase, it's a good way to find out about new careers. What are people doing with my particular degree once they graduate? Absolutely. But okay, I don't want to take up too much of your time, and I really appreciate all of the advice and all the stories that you've shared with us. Usually as a final question, we like to ask you what advice you might have for our current graduate students, whether they're in musicology or they're in graduate school at large. Do you have any tips for things they should be doing now or anything that you wish you had known at the time? Such a good question. I would, uh, I mean, again, this is more of this, probably everyone is doing this and probably I was just like on a cloud and not paying attention to it. But I would say just pay attention to the job market and look at it with a realistic eye, which I'm sure everyone is already doing. But the academic job market is just, it's changing so much. I'm not the only one from my cohort in the musicology program that has gone into a different field. Kind of a lot of us have by necessity, but also just in opening our eyes as to what's possible to do with a PhD and being genuinely interested in things. I know for me, I went into PhD right after undergrad with no break. And I may have gone in a different direction if I had had a break, but um, I would just look at the job market with kind of open eyes and knowing how, you know, if, if, even if you are set on that academic track, the tenure track job, knowing that the job market is changing so much, I think you're going to do yourself a disservice if you don't at least explore some alternative career paths earlier on. I wish I had done that. I really didn't do it seriously until, until the very end. To that end, you know, many people at the Graduate Center and elsewhere are working multiple jobs. I know I was. I know all, all of my friends were. Think about whether you could get some experience in something that would be transferable in another area. Again, as I mentioned, I had the opportunity to do some grant writing for a small grassroots music organization. That was the thing that helped me pivot because I could show concrete examples of what I'm doing. 
you know, there are so many organizations that need volunteer work that would just be delighted to have volunteer grant writing services. So even if you can't get a job in it, you know, think about whether you can build some of those skill sets while you're in academia, even if you're staying, they will serve you very well. And I think building your network, as we were discussing, you know, take time to, you know, to speak with people who have alternative career paths, see what's out there, you know, test the waters, maybe do something part-time at a nonprofit for a semester, see if you like it. You may find that it is a better, you know, fit for you than academia. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't explore a little bit, because if you do that and you end up deciding to go in a different way, you will be so competitive with your PhD and with that experience to do a whole host of things. I think that's great advice. And thank you so much for sharing everything today with us. It was really interesting to hear more about your work. And I just want to thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And again, I'll, I'll put this out there. If anyone's interested in development, please feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation or, you know, connect you with people who might be able to help. Again, the Grad Center Network is a great network. You should all take advantage of it. Thanks again to Brooke for coming in and giving us lots of tips about starting a career in development. The Office of Career Planning and Professional Development can help you decide what career path is right for you. Find a list of our upcoming events or make an appointment to speak with one of our career advisors at cuny.is careerplan. You can also follow us on Twitter at careerplangc. Thanks for listening.